You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, I like that, baby. Welcome to the Instant Reaction Brooklyn Nets game winner Spencer Dinwiddie. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. They're above 500. They've won four in a row. Um, The last two minutes of this game sucked. The last two minutes of this game was incredibly tough to watch, especially when I'm not normally a confident guy. I'm not normally a guy who thinks a game is over. I'm not normally a guy that thinks, ah, we got this one in the bag. But for whatever reason throughout this game, I was confident. I felt good. And late in this game, the Nets actually opened up. I I think it was a nine-point lead after Torian Prince hit that three with about two minutes to go. And even though Cleveland never went away, every time the Nets would get their lead to five or six, and maybe they had a chance to, to, to get a little bit more comfortable and break it open, somebody would hit a big shot. You know, Maybe Larry Nance Jr. would hit a big shot. Or Colin Sexton, who started to wake up in the second half, would hit a little bit of a floater. But when they went up by nine, I think Dinwiddie had a big rebound after Nance missed a three. Prince gets a really good look from Jared Allen. I thought, all right, we got this one. This is a good victory. Back to back. I know the Cavs aren't great. They're without Kevin Love. But nice, solid victory. And then it just started to come apart. It started to come apart. And really what brought it apart was the Sexton and one. You're up by nine. The one thing you can't do is commit a dumb foul. So Colin Sexton puts up that floater, draws the foul, hits the free throw. The Nets start missing shots. Dinwiddie had a a layup around the basket he missed. Joe Harris missed one that got blocked. And the Cavs start cutting into this lead. And then what really added to the torture of the final few minutes were the freaking replay reviews. And and I'm not, I got to tell you, I'm not bitching about anything because the officials got everything right. I mean, it really isn't. There's nothing I can literally complain about over the last minute and a half. Ian Eagle's right. You know, usually when you get four reviews in the final minute and a half of a game on out-of-bounds calls, you figure, you know, maybe one will go your way. Not a one. Not a one. I think the closest one was the third of the four, if I'm not mistaken. Not the last one on the missed free throw by Sexton, but I think the one before that, after the miss around the basket, that was between Osmond and Joe Harris. When Seti had the two hands on it, Harris had one hand on it. I thought when they showed the first few replays, it was going to be overturned. It was going to be Nets ball, and they would get it back up by a point. But you know, when they showed the yesmo, as Richard Jefferson uh, couldn't get enough of, it became not obvious, but it became more likely that they were going to say it was off Joe Harris and it was going to remain Cleveland basketball, and it did. And they got lucky on a couple of things. First of all, Sexton missing the second free throw was huge. 
down by one as opposed to a tie game. Secondly, after the fourth review, the Cleveland Cavaliers had about two and a half seconds left. They had trouble getting the ball inbounds. It ends up in Sexton's hands way, way away from the three-point line. He's guarded tightly, can't do anything with it, can barely get a shot off. In fact, he didn't get a shot off. They called a 24-second violation. And then on that final play, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better look from Spencer Dinwiddie. And there was no doubt in my mind, nor should there be any doubt in my mind, who the basketball was going to. You know, as much as we love ball movement, as much as we love creating an open look, when there's eight seconds to go in a game, in a tie game, 90% of the time it's going to be isolation with your best player. That's what it's going to be. The ball is going to be the hands of your best player, and they're not always going to get the greatest look. That's why when you look at the numbers, the stats of, and you could take whoever you want. You could take Kobe Bryant. You could take LeBron James. You could take whoever you want. In the final 30 seconds of a game or 20 seconds of a game, guys' shooting percentages are not that great. It's not like you're going to see a guy shooting 55%. Usually it's in the 20s or 30s. But Spencer got very lucky. He got lucky for two reasons. Allen tried to set his screen, and Osmond just came across it uh, rather meekly, is what I would say. Rather meekly. So Dinwiddie had a great look. He drills the jump shot, and I got to tell you what happened. I got to tell you what happened. So he drills the jump shot with a second to go. Nets are up by two. There's one second left, 1.8 seconds, I think. Cleveland does not have a timeout. I am watching this game in my in our bedroom. I'm not watching this game in our little TV room. I'm watching it in the bedroom. I'm laying down. My wife's passed out early. Listen, Jet drives us a little crazy sometimes. We go to sleep early. I'm not asleep. She's asleep. Dinwiddie hits the shot. I get so excited. I I guess my ass hit the remote control, and I have one of those Roku TVs, and so it hit the Hulu button. And so all of a sudden, it flips off of the TV onto the Hulu screen, and I'm freaking out because there's a second left. The Cleveland Cavaliers are going to put up some kind of full-court shot. So I quickly, as fast as I can, get to my iPad, turn on the game via my iPad, and all I see is 108-106 final score. So I got to tell you, as I'm recording this, I still haven't seen the final play. I don't even know if they got a shot off. And the five seconds it took for me to quickly get to my iPad and put the game on, uh, I mean, my God, those five seconds felt like an hour. I'm freaking out. I'm thinking, can you imagine? I get to my iPad. I see 109, 108. You know, Sexton throws up a full court shot and they lose. But real gritty win by, uh, win by the Brooklyn Nets. I get it. The Cavs are a lotto team. I get it. They're not very good. I get it. And I think you could watch the final few possessions of this game to know the issues that they have. They do have a lot of interesting pieces for a contending team to acquire. I mean, Jordan Clarkson could help anybody. Larry Nance Jr. sort of can help anybody. Tristan Thompson continues to grow as a player. He can help some teams. Those are the guys that jump out at you. Because they do have some nice young pieces in Sexton. Darius Garland, who didn't play a lot tonight. Even Kevin Porter Jr. was impressive at times. Very explosive. McKinney hit a couple of threes. So they do have that going for him. Not that McKinney is one of those good young players. I'm just pointing out that he had a couple of pain-in-the-ass shots in this game. May have only been one. But the 1-3 he hit was certainly pain-in-the-ass worthy. Really, they have a core of Sexton, Garland, uh, Porter. How old is Seti Osman? He's not too old. 24 years old. He's not bad. 
So they have themselves a nice young core. But the reason why this is a good win, it's the same reason why the win against the Knicks was a good win, the win against Chicago, the win against Charlotte, the win against Sacramento, all teams that are not going to be in the playoffs. Because the Nets are banged up. Because if you look at this net roster right now and the guys that they're playing and the guys they're forced to get minutes from off their bench, this is not a great basketball team. So you just want to get whatever win you can get. You want to grab them wherever you can get them. So to have a four-game winning streak, considering your bench consists of Musa and Shump and tonight Claxton filling in for Jordan and Theo Pinson having to play big minutes at the point, and then you're asking for huge minutes from Spencer Dinwiddie and Garrett Temple and Joe Harris and Torian Prince. You're damn right these wins matter. I know the Cavs are flawed. I know the Knicks are flawed. Who cares? You got to win. Got to win these games. Now let me get to Jared Allen. Jared Allen over the last... What would you say, four or five games? He is playing like a man possessed. He is playing like a beast. And certainly you think of that Rocket game from last year where he put up his other 2020 game. I think that's the only other 2020 game he's had in his career. It was a very stat-padding kind of night. Not to diminish what Allen did that night, but it, it was one of those crazy nights. That was the crazy victory over the Rockets where they pulled it out of their ass. Remember that game? So I don't really remember a lot about Jared Allen specifically from that night. I mostly remember Spencer Dinwiddie and the way the Nets somehow won that basketball game. But tonight he he was he was a beast. I mean, ripping offensive rebounds. How many offensive rebounds did he have tonight? Eight or nine? And there was just a noticeable difference defensively, on the glass, finishing at the rim blocking shots he had that big block shot uh late in the game that got the clock down to two before the bad inbound pass in which sexton had nothing to do with the basketball he was a monster and this is the deal here's here's the thing i said this a week and a half ago if the brooklyn nets were going to overcome injuries which they did last year guys are going to have to step up well clearly spencer dinwiddie has stepped up that goes without saying I think Joe Harris has stepped up. I liked him tonight. He was aggressive with his shot. He wasn't afraid to miss. He missed six threes. He took nine of them. I loved it. He was not afraid. And Joe Harris is so good around the basket. So good around the basket. But Harris stepped up. Dinwiddie has stepped up. Garrett Temple has stepped up. And Jared Allen, I don't want to say as much as Dinwiddie, but Jared Allen has stepped up in a big way. You know, tonight could have been a disaster. This game could have been a disaster for Jared Allen because it wasn't that long ago. It was about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, when Jared Allen had that Falathon game where he was called for off illegal screen after illegal screen after illegal screen. Remember that game? It was a joke. It was comical. He didn't have the DeAndre Jordan safety net in this game because Jordan's nursing that ankle injury. You did have Nicholas Claxton, who, you know, shows some bounce, gives you some moments. I don't think he was great, but, you know, listen, he's out there. He's a body. He's young. He's got promise. But Jared Allen, oh, my God, what has happened? What is the difference between Jared Allen of, let's say, two weeks ago and the Jared Allen of the last couple of nights? Maybe it is the moment. Maybe it is guys realize they have to step up if they want to win games. You know, Amon Shumpert has been getting a lot of credit that the defense of this basketball team has greatly improved since Shumpert has come in, and he's gotten minutes. David Nawaba can't find minutes now. 
Rodion's Karutz can't find minutes, though that isn't as much related. And you know what? You want me to give Shumper credit? I'll give him credit. I'll give him credit that that veteran leadership, that tenacity he has, has improved the team defense because the team defense has been amazingly better. And again, maybe it's just the opponents. I understand that. They haven't played great teams. You don't throw it back. But when you're facing teams that are in the bottom third of pace, teams that don't have great offensive ratings, teams that are just not great offensively, yeah, you're going to hold them to low numbers. They almost, they came very close if the Knicks didn't score late to having three straight games of holding a team under 100 points. You know the last time the Nets have done that? A couple of years. It's a rare thing. And yeah, pace has a lot to do with it, by the way. I mean, sometimes I think we look at final scores and we're just completely misled by if defense was played or not. And they have been facing teams that are not playing at a really high pace. But nevertheless, the defense of this team has been greatly, greatly improved. Musa sort of bothered me tonight, but then at times he came up big, including that big three. But what really stunned me, and I was cursing at Kenny Atkinson under my breath. I didn't curse out loud because my wife was very tired. I didn't want to wake her up with unnecessary Kenny Atkinson rotation curses. But I think it was with about eight minutes to go. Cleveland had either tied it or pulled within one. Maybe they'd even taken the lead. I don't remember. I didn't write crap down. What do you want me to tell you? And he stuck with a unit that featured Theo Pinson, Garrett Temple, Amon Shumpert, Musa, and Claxton. And I'm thinking to myself, Kenny, this isn't working, dude. This is not a great group to have on the floor. First of all, it's incredibly young. I mean, Musa and Claxton, I don't think, can buy a beer. And Theo Pinson, you know, he'll hit a couple of big shots every once in a while, but I don't think anybody's confusing Theo Pinson with this all-world distributor as a guy that can really organize an offense that well. And that group went on a 7-0 run. I was stunned. I was, I was stupefied by it. And I, and I guess I give Kenny credit? I don't know. I, I don't know if we should be giving coaches or managers credit for doing things that you feel is dumb, but it happens to work. You know, like Pat Shermer using the three timeouts with four minutes to go. It worked because the defense was able to get off the field. But should we sit there giving him credit for it? Either way, it worked. And the Nets came very close to blowing this game in the final few minutes. But obviously, they hold on. They beat Cleveland 108-106. A couple of other things. Let me get to Kyrie Irving. Um, I, I get that Kyrie Irving is not an incredibly likable guy. I mean, quite frankly, I don't love Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's on our team now, so I'm growing to like him. You know, I like when he talks about being an old New Jersey Nets fan. That, that gets me all hot and bothered. And so I want to like Kyrie Irving. I think you always want to like guys on your basketball team, right? That's clear. So I get it. I'm not, you know, just ignoring the fact that for the last decade I didn't love Kyrie Irving. But if you are going to stand up, whether it's on the radio or it's on TV or on Twitter, and make the comment that, you see, look at the Nets record without Kyrie Irving. They don't need him. They're better without him. You're a freaking fool. I don't know what to tell you. You're a freaking fool. Are the Nets winning games right now without Kyrie Irving? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
And I get it. When they lost to the Denver Nuggets on that Thursday night on TNT where they blew a second straight huge lead on their West Coast trip and they dropped to 4-7, and seven, that was the moment Kyrie Irving st- stopped playing basketball for the Brooklyn Nets. They actually shut him down with the shoulder issue. I get it. Shut him down for the Saturday game against the Bulls, even though he was listed as questionable. And then all of a sudden, he's out for a few weeks. And I get that the Nets won that Chicago Bull game. They grinded it out. They did get embarrassed by the Pacers, first game back in Brooklyn, and now they have won four in a row. I get all that. But if you, for a second, think the Nets are better without Kyrie Irving, I don't even even know what to tell you. I long for Kyrie coming back. Now, does it create... Some intriguing questions for Kenny Atkinson, such as, hey, maybe I should start Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, maybe I should start both Dinwiddie and Kyrie in the backcourt and have Temple coming off the bench. Or when Karis LeVert comes back, maybe I should have Karis LeVert coming off the bench. Those are fair questions. No doubt about it. I think it's even a fair question to say, hey, game on the line, man. I wouldn't just assume it's Kyrie Irving. I know Kyrie Irving's the all-star. Kyrie Irving's hit the game-winning shot in the NBA Finals. But guess what? I trust Spencer Dinwiddie. I've seen Spencer Dinwiddie hit a ton of huge shots for this team. It's not a knock on Kyrie Irving, but I think you've got two great playmaking options. Two guys that can get to the basket whenever the hell they want and two guys that can step back and hit a three. Or in tonight's case, hit a long two. But the idea that Kyrie Irving's a problem, and this proves it. That's idiotic. They need Kyrie Irving. When the competition starts to step up, and it's about to start stepping up in Boston with the back-to-back games against the Celtics, with the game against Miami, down the road, the game against Denver. They play Toronto and Philly back-to-back. As the schedule starts to stiffen up and the competition gets better, you bet your ass they need Kyrie Irving. Of course they need Kyrie Irving. But in the meantime, Spencer Dinwiddie has been great. And can there be some positives to come out of this Irving absence? Sure. Look, when star players are out, and maybe there's too much over-reliance on a star player, other guys realize they have to step up. Other guys have to play better basketball. And these guys have. There's no doubt about it. Now, you want that to continue when Irving comes back, and that's going to be something that's important for this team to be as good as I hope them to be. And I think my expectations for this team hasn't been out of whack. I'm not talking about them winning a championship. I'm not talking about them getting to an NBA Finals, but I want to see them in the mid to high 40s. That's what I want to see. Well, they're above 500, so it starts somewhere. They're 9-8. and eight. Now, let me address Richard Jefferson. So... When the Nets played the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, obviously I'm watching the Yes broadcast, and no offense to MSG, but I'm a Nets fan. I do find myself, I have to admit, because I watch every Nick game, and obviously I watch every Net game, and, and I try, I always admit this, I try to be impartial when talking about the Knicks on the radio, and sometimes I think I succeed at it, and sometimes, you know, maybe I don't succeed at it. But I found myself watching the Sunday Night Nets-Knicks game thinking about the Nick perspective way too much. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's good so that even though we only talk Nets and Knicks for about 35 seconds on our Monday midday show, but maybe it's a good thing. But it was odd. It was odd watching a Nets game thinking way too much about the other perspective. But Jefferson made a comment that he, and really the whole comment started with he wanted to take a shot at Jason Kidd and Kenny Martin. That's what it was all about. He was mocking the lack of loyalty from Jason Kidd because he suited up with the Knicks. Same thing with Kenyon Martin. And he talked about, hey, I would never do that. And then it led to, you know, 
I knew it was time to retire when the Knicks were the only team that would offer me a contract. I don't know why I felt this way, but I knew he was joking. And maybe that's because 90% of what Richard Jefferson says is a joke. It continued in the game against Cleveland when he talked about, and this isn't the first time he said this, I was never called for a technical. I've heard him say that a couple of times. And I think each time he says that, he's called out as that's really not true, Richard. You were called for 40 of them. So when Jefferson made that comment, I didn't think much of it. I chuckled a little bit, and I took more out of the taking a shot at Jason Kidd and Kenyon Martin than Richard Jefferson is really throwing legitimate shade at the Knicks. Later on in the broadcast, I hear Jefferson come back saying, yeah, I guess I got to tell everybody I was joking. And in the meantime, this became a big thing on Twitter. And I think ESPN tweeted it out. A few people tweeted it out. Uh, Not just people, but stations tweeted it out that Richard Jefferson claimed the Knicks were the only team that offered him a deal, and he said no because he'd rather retire. And that's fine. It was a joke. Some Knicks fans are offended. I think sometimes people are so easily triggered over whatever. People just can't take a freaking joke. Everybody's way too sensitive. I try not to be sensitive. I'm trying to think the last time I was overly sensitive. Um, when Dove Kramer told me all redheads are going to be extinct in 50 years. I think that made me very sensitive. I was very triggered by that. But... The Knicks felt the need to tweet out to clarify. <laughs> we, we never offered Richard Jefferson a contract. And it was just, why? Why do you feel the need to tweet that? And somebody put a fake banner up at Madison Square Garden that says 2019 and then the Knicks PR tweet that says, and I quote, For clarification purposes, it is not true that the Knicks offered Richard Jefferson a contract in either the summer of 18 or 19. Why? What made Knicks PR tweet that? I think we all assume it came from James Tolan. I really hope it didn't. But come on. And look, I'm not telling any Knicks fan who happens to be listening to this, and I have no idea why a Knicks fan would be listening to an instant reaction, giddy, me talking about a net win. What the hell's wrong with you? The only Nick fan that would ever be listening to this is Giannotti because he wants to take some clips to make fun of me with on the morning show, which is completely fine. That's the only Nick fan that I could ever imagine listening to this, but whatever. Whatever. Why do you care? You know what I mean? Like, why would you even be offended and so upset that Richard Jefferson joked about that? And then the Knicks PR department feels like they need to clarify with a tweet? Foolish. Because it was a non-story by today. No one, I wasn't thinking about, I barely thought about it last night. It didn't even occur to me to ever even talk about it. I thought it was such a non-story. I thought the funniest thing Richard Jefferson said during the game had nothing to do with the Knicks. I thought it was when he jokingly said, when I first heard the term color commentary, I thought it was racist. That was funny. Are we offended by that too? Did Richard Jefferson offend people by making that joke? Richard Jefferson is clowny, and I love it. 
And I'm not saying he's the same as Keith Hernandez and Paul O'Neill, but what Paul O'Neill, Keith Hernandez, and to a degree Richard Jefferson bring to a broadcast is levity. They're really good players on different levels. Let's not argue which one was better. Keith Hernandez is a borderline Hall of Famer. Paul O'Neill's beloved by Yankee fans. And Richard Jefferson was a very good New Jersey net. Very good New Jersey net. And then they traded him for E.G. Leon. What an all-time winner that was. And they laugh and they have fun. And that's what they do on the broadcast. I enjoy Richard Jefferson. But you know what I really enjoy? Winning. And the Brooklyn Nets have won four in a row. Anyhow, that's it. That's my instant reaction. Nets beat the Cavs edition of the Evan Roberts podcast. Coming up this week, the updated power rankings. The first time we'll ever do this on a podcast. We'll break down all the managers and coaches in the New York tri-state area. And coming up in December, throughout December, we will do the decade in review for each of the local teams. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast.